We're going to jump into our Bible reading, and then we're going to explore our last of our big questions, which is uh, thankfully what Meredith introduced for us, except the grown-ups looking at something a little bit different today. Our question as we finish our series is, if Christians were better people, if Christians were less hypocritical, I would believe in God. So that's what we're going to kick around And our Bible reading today is from Matthew 23, verses 1, all the way to 39. So read along with me in your Bible, or you can follow along on the screen too, uh, and let's read God's Word. Here's what uh, God says to us through His Word this morning. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their, I can't pronounce that wide, and the tassels on their garments long. Phylacteries. Thank you, Maura. It's actually a prayer box. I know what it is, I just don't know how to say it. Yes. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door in the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded... You make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by an oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by the oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guide, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. 
And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You, blo- you build the tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we'd lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead, then, complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned of hell to hell? Therefore I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers, and some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogue and pursue from, your, from town to town. And, upon, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, this will all come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. That's a really intense passage where Jesus denounces the hypocrites of his day. I'm going to look at that today for our last big question. If Christians were better people, And perhaps the best thing to say is, feel the weight of that, because God's Word is far better than anything I can say. So let me pray, and then let's crack this open and uh, walk through this passage to see what God has to say. Father, your Word is so good, and it's sharp, and it's meant to cut us to the soul and the core, divide us in half, leave us wrecked on the floor, but then in your kindness, you build us back together, make us new in Jesus. So would you do that today? Father, in, in, in us, should there be hypocrisy? Father, would you deal with that? Would you forgive us, redeem us, and may we live honest, integrity, in lives of integrity before you and others? For your glory, for the sake of Jesus, for the salvation of souls. Amen. You're more likely in Adelaide to hear AFL than NRL, but today I want to reflect on the NRL just for a moment. Um, because an incident in July this year from a team called Manly, or the Sharks, as someone pointed out today, um, wonderfully helped, uh, wonderfully illustrate. Is it the e- Sea Eagles? <laughs> so close. Yeah, they're in New South Wales and they played the other ball game. It's fine. I don't have to, you don't have to know anything about the sport to get the, where, I'm, where I'm going. It's fine. it's fine. So anyway, so in this team, who wear purple tops called Manly, Seven players from the Pacific Islands, who are Christians, were accused of being hypocrites. Their team was given a new Guernsey to wear, and it had the pride colours on it. And all the players were expected to wear it in celebration of the pride round. And these seven young men didn't want to wear the Guernsey. Why? Well, if they did, it would declare solidarity with 
it would call for them to take pride in sexual practices their faith wouldn't allow them to celebrate. Now, people watching this were quick to call them hypocrites because, you may have noticed, right in the middle of their Guernsey is PointsBet, major sponsor, all about gambling. And so what we have is just another inconsistent, hypocritical Christian following their backwards God, making a big deal about the flag, but not about the gambling sponsor on the front of their top. And I'm sure you don't have to look far to find other examples, which is why our our question today made the big questions, because your friends are asking it. If Christians weren't hypocritical and judgy, I'd consider God. If Christians were better people, I'd consider the claims they would make before their God. Now, keep that in your head, this, this, um, this illustration. We'll come back to it at the end. But to help us think about this, to get us in the frame of mind for this question, I would like you, just for, for, for two minutes now, to ask those around you this question. And you're on the spot, so just do your best. But how might Jesus being Lord change the way a Christian makes decisions? Okay, so how might Jesus being Lord change the way a Christian makes decisions? So just among yourselves, two minutes, just to get us thinking, how would you answer that? What's the answer? How might Jesus being Lord change the way a Christian makes decisions? Turn around to those of you and just go for it. I'll call you back in one minute, two minutes. It's an interesting question, isn't it? I think, after all, a Christian is someone who is subscribing to God's vision for life. And that has an implication for how we make decisions, you see. And after all, I want to say from the beginning, because God is the Lord of all, the creator of heavens and earth and our lives and His marriage showed us, knows, knows all about us, Christians do have a very high calling, okay? Peter in the New Testament, writes this, as the God who calls you is holy, so you be holy. Holiness is the standard Jesus saves us to. And if you're here today and you've ever felt unholy, ungodlike behavior towards you from someone who claims to follow Jesus, I am really sorry that's your experience. It's hard to imagine a behavior that's less Christ-like. But I caution us, from throwing out God with the Christians. In a way, the mess the church is in and and often people in the church are in, it simply highlights the love and need and clarity Jesus brings and forgiveness. So, for example, the 6th century prophet, Ezekiel, spoke to his own people about how unholy they were, gave them God's message, and it was a frightening, terrifying few words He says to them, God's great name has been profaned among the nations because of you. (laughs) You're acting in a way that makes the nations think God is pathetic. Grow up. That's what he's saying. And, And while we would just cancel them today, as we do with people, God is far more merciful because in that same chapter, only a few verses down, three verses down, this is what God says to those people that are profaning his name. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, that's the good news that Jesus came to bring to each of us. The hope of a new heart, not an improved one. The hope of consistent living, not saying one thing and doing another. The hope of his spirit, not our feelings, as the ultimate guide in our life. And so this is the Jesus and his words that we now turn to. 
Both Ezekiel and Jesus sound very similar in the passage, in the reading we've had. But the big idea I want us to take away is this. Let's let Jesus today shape our response to hypocrisy and let's find forgiveness for our own hearts. Because I'm sure in my own heart there is a lot of hypocrisy to go around (laughs) and I'm sure it's the same for you. So let's let Jesus heal our hearts and shape our response to them as we talk to others. So three things to look through at Matthew 23. First four verses, we're going to look at the warning Jesus gives. And it begins with Jesus in the temple on a Tuesday morning, probably the first week of around AD 30 at this time when he speaks. And around him, we read in verse 1, are all his, the crowds and his disciples of people. And he talks to them about a very small group of religious leaders they would all know very, very well called the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, it's important to know as we think through this, Christians are not, in any sense, Pharisees. That historical idea of a Pharisee is gone. But, like the Pharisees, hypocrisy hasn't gone anywhere. And that's the point. And so Jesus begins with a very positive word to those around him in verses 2 and 3. He says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And you must be careful to do everything they tell you. When Jesus said this, there was, of course, a literal chair in the front of the synagogue, and a rabbi would sit from and often teach the law from this chair. And it also referenced Moses' teachings, someone who has authority. And from this seat, they would lead the people towards their loving, holy, good God through Moses' law and the prophets. And Jesus makes it very clear right at the beginning that this law is good, the prophets are good. Leading people towards God, very good, let's do it. But the next point he makes is that if someone's a hypocrite, it doesn't negate our own obedience to God. Because the imperative here lands on, be careful to do everything be careful to do everything they say. He's, he's commending God's blueprint for life in the law. What he's not commending, of course, is the actions of those who sit in this seat. So in verse 3, he says, But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And again, Jesus is not having a go at, if you follow Jesus and you're struggling with sin, if you come here feeling very guilty, You've been tempted to death this week and life has been so hard and you, you can say, I have not followed Jesus well. He's not, Jesus is not pointing at you going, ha ha, ha ha. It's very different if you struggle with sin and you mess up and get it wrong compared to willingly saying one thing and doing another. Very different. Because in verse 4, Jesus expands this a little more as well and he says, these people, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, the people on these chairs are the very, edition of, the very definition of leaders we despise in our culture. You know, it's the boss you have that tells everyone what to do, but never, ever picks up at all. It's the boss who keeps demanding, but doesn't listen or understand what life's like on the ground. You know, oh, you've been so far removed from what life's like here for the last 20 years, you don't get it anymore. You may have a boss like that, maybe. It's the employee who says, I don't feel valued, and so I, I work hard but then they spend all their time on the phone doing other stuff and underperform. This is the Pharisees and and the scribes. What's worse, though, is that they are in a position that enables them to lift the burden that people face as they kick around life, the weight you have on your shoulders. These guys could lead you to God to have it taken off, but they don't do it. 
Notice the heavy weight that sits on people's shoulders. With just one finger, they can lift it off, you see? But they're not interested in using their position to lead people to God's grace and relief. Why? Well, verses 5 to 12 explain. Jesus says everything they do is for show, for people to see. They're pretentious. And twice Jesus calls them out for loving their place and their position, their wealth and their honour above him, above caring for others. In verse 6 and 7, they love the place of honour at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. They use their position to get a better reputation. Now consider this. I love this story. This is the opposite. This is how they should have been. Um, The Duke of Norfolk, he took charge of the Queen's funeral recently. And his job was to spend 20 years planning the funeral. And at any moment, it could have happened. Imagine the relief when she finally departed. Well, oh, I can finally enact my plan. 20 years they've been working on it together. He didn't do it without her permission. But here's what happened. On the day, he wore the uniform. He did his duty. He ordered. He served. 20 years for this one day. And then he said, after this, no taxpayer would give me a pound for my work. And even when people called him formally by Earl, the title he was earned and and given and and you'd be happy to, he said, oh, just call me Ed. His attitude pointed people to the one who the day was all about, the Queen, not himself. He just was there to point them to that person over and over again for 20 years. That's how the Pharisees should have acted, pointing people to God and, and Jesus, the Messiah, it says, not themselves. And all of this then in 8 verse 8 to 12 culminates when Jesus reminds the crowds of where true authority lies. He says, but you're not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. Don't call anyone on earth father. You have one father and he's in heaven. The greatest among you will be your servants. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. What he's saying is by saying rabbi, father, instructor, helping him to see under God those who are called to teach you about God are servants. Like the duke, their position is given from someone above, higher than them, to make that other one look as wonderful as they are. Jesus is not saying you shouldn't have a teacher to lead you to God. Don't call your your dad father. That's not the point. He's not saying it's wrong to have big prayer garments or it's immoral or evil or sinful. He's not demanding structures in the church be broken down and the synagogue be removed. He's simply saying that when those behaviours are done for the sake of accruing honour and prestige for yourself... That's inappropriate. And it's a serious call to all who follow Jesus or claim to, to take this seriously. And at this point, we should stop reading and we should close our Bibles and examine our hearts and not read any further before it gets really intense. But sometimes, we as people, we need wrecking balls to wake us up, not just little bells ringing. And so the way back from being a hypocrisy begins by facing reality. And what Jesus does is brings the reality check of a wrecking ball into their faces to show the brutal fact of what they've become. And it's only when he does this is there any motivation to change. Hypocrisy is so horrible because you can confront a hypocrite and nothing will change. And they'll just say what you want to hear. And so what Jesus does is give seven woes to these scribes and teachers of the law. Seven woes. Now, woe is a funny word. You've probably not said it recently. But it's a displeasing word. But it's a word that comes from the place of pain and sadness. 
So what Jesus is saying is he's longing for them and us not to be the hypocrites. Okay, so when you hear him say this, it's coming from a place of pain and sadness, as he sees there could be so much more. So let's run through these. The first verse in verse 13, Woe to you teachers of law, you hypocrites! They're guilty of shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven by their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is so terrible because when others see it, it makes them want to walk away from God and you get in the way of those that actually genuinely want to seek God as well. Then it gets worse. One woe down. In verse 15, Woe to you teachers! You travel over land and sea to win a, sing- win a single convert and then you make them a twice as charter hell as you are. See, they don't just shut the door, but those who follow them are even worse than they are. Hypocrites multiplying hypocrites. And then we see they play religious games with everyone. And that's Jesus' third woe. They confuse and distort God's intent for what life looks like with their pious wisdom and knowledge. Religious games are horrible. And what follows onto the next woe, he says, stop majoring on minors and minoring on majors in woe three. And this is neglecting people for the sake of a rule. In this instance, they're too busy and it's an incredible thing. They're too busy making sure they give a tenth of their chili flakes from their spice cupboard to God that when someone comes knocking on the door and says, can you pray? I need to know God's grace. They say, I'm too busy weighing my parsley leaves. Go away. I have to be faithful to God with my parsley and my mint and my chili flakes. Go away. You have to find someone else. The problem is they've made their tradition out to be God's. Love, justice, pursue mercy. That's what God's interested in. Do that and then go count your chili flakes. But don't you dare say a piece of parsley is more important than a person. Which leads to verse, the woe, sorry, woe 5 in verse 25 when Jesus says you're a hypocrite because you look so clean on the outside. But there's greedy self-indulgence on the inside. He's not against what they say, only that they're not living it. And then he stresses it in woe 6 when he says, you're just like a pile of dead bones. There's no life in them. And then, to top it off, in the very last woe, Jesus quotes them directly. He looks at their life and he says, you haven't picked it up yet, this is you. Let me tell you what you actually say. Oh, I'm not like the people who kick with the prophets. I'm more enlightened than they are. Hypocrites make their own voice louder than God's. They sincerely believe they're not as bad as what they are and that everyone else is the problem. And it's a horrific, confronting few verses. And you should feel a bit wrecked, and maybe you did after the Bible reading. You should feel like Jesus has left you on the floor in a puddle and you don't know what to do. But did you notice what Jesus did here? It goes all the way down to verse 39. It doesn't finish at verse 36. Today, we would cancel the Pharisees and the hypocrites. We would finish at verse 36. We would call it out, we'd shatter them. We'd leave them on the ground, we'd walk away with an online post, and we'd say, ha ha, and off we go. But that's easy, actually. Do you remember that little word, woe, at the start? It's one of frustration and pain. Jesus isn't saying this because he's full of, he's full of um, spite and vengeance. This is the cry of Jesus to not let you stay as you are because he loves you too much to keep seeing you like this. And while the religious ones close the door, Jesus opens it up and says, hey, if you're a hypocrite, why don't you come to me? 
We've had the warnings, we've had the woes, and then Jesus gives them this wonderful welcome in the last few verses. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus has confronted and exposed their evil. He's uncovered it, he's called it exactly what it is, but that's the first step. Like the mint and the dill, instead of showing mercy. Or how to stop others coming to God. They don't get in themselves. He's revealing what's going on. Then he says, I would love to gather you up as if you're all chickens running around crazy and I'll just protect you and look after you. But you don't want me to. You see, Jesus is more like a first responder than the newsreader here. He's not just pointing out facts. He's offering a way forward. Which means God really hates hypocrisy. That might be obvious. But the fact that Jesus dedicates so much to this and the fact that if you've ever been hurt by a hypocrite, if God has left a bad taste in your mouth because of his people, know that God understands that because God has more to say about hypocrisy. He's seen it over a longer period of time in more people than any of us will ever have. And Judas betrayed Jesus. And the disciples didn't walk away from Jesus in that moment. They saw the less genuine and it made them run after the genuine, you see. The point Jesus is saying is is if you feel the hypocrisy and see it, yes, deconstruct yourself to Jesus, not away from the faith. Because the more you see that it's evil and wrong, the more chance you have of seeing the truth and the light and the forgiveness of God. Because at the end, as we saw, Jesus really wants to heal the hypocrites. The tender language in verse 37, it contrasts so wonderfully snakes to chickens. But you know, he says, he reminds them, they don't want him. They don't want the gentle, kind, forgiving Jesus. Hypocrites don't want Jesus, actually. They always have a well-timed answer. They look so holy, like, like saying they'd never stone a prophet. But Jesus wants the hypocrites, even if they don't want him. And here's something to think about. If you feel shocked that Jesus would want to heal a hypocrite, if you'd much rather have an angry Jesus who finished at verse 36, perhaps, perhaps God's showing you your own hypocrisy here. Maybe you have your own blind spot. And what you feel is just the wrecking ball of God's grace coming to undo you which means the wonderful news for us all is that while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Well, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, Jesus longs to gather everyone here under his wings, but under his cross. Would you let him do that? Would you hear how horrible hypocrisy is? Would you see with clarity the kind of Christianity that Jesus speaks of And that he wants to forgive your hypocrisy and heal you from the evil that's been done to you. And let's bring that to our world more and more, shall we? That kind of Christianity. But I haven't answered any questions about hypocrisy yet. We talked about it at the start. We've walked through Matthew 23. So let's end here. Are those seven manly players hypocrites? Because they don't wear the guernsey. Well, the answer is no. They're not being hypocritical because they don't wear the top, celebrating something their faith won't allow. 
wearing the pride guernsey, would be agreeing and celebrating another gospel, the pride one. And that's what they can't do. It would be hypocritical if they did wear it and celebrate that, you see, claiming to follow Jesus, then living another way. These, these, these seven players are seeking to live their life under God in all areas, no matter what the cost. That's what they're trying to do. So, let's end with this. Monday morning comes around, you're on the coffee run at work, or you're in the car with your family, and something comes up on the radio again, or you hear it on a podcast, or whatever, and someone says, oh, another hypocritical Christian. Here's what you could say. Hey, I get it. It does feel a bit inconsistent, doesn't it? When these Christians take this stand. But having a different vision on an issue doesn't make you a hypocrite in all of life, does it? Or maybe, maybe you, you see a Christian and they've said one thing and then they do something really bad, right? And then someone says, see, I could never follow the God of someone like that. Well, why don't you say, what if that behavior simply shows you they need a... a what, what if their behavior simply shows you that they need a much better God than themselves? I'm pretty thankful God is better, holy, and more consistent than me. And what if you gave some thought to the God behind the person? You might be surprised at the Jesus that you find there. Maybe the fact that they've messed up is a good reminder that we all need God, and you should consider that God. So the last three weeks, we've explored three big questions. And I do hope they've been helpful. They've been a whirlwind and very short, but may you know that being winsome and gracious and kind won't necessarily make you any friends, won't make you popular like the Pharisees want to be, but it is how God calls us to behave. And yes, it is tough being a Christian and living for Jesus today, but know that I'm cheering you on as you champion God's vision of grace and love and kindness, even if it looks different. Because after all, Jesus really is the key to life, love, and freedom. And I'm praying that you and your friends will continue to meet him over and over again. And so today, as we finish this, I'll mention the life course one more time on November 7. Maybe you have a friend who you've been talking with and can invite them along. I'll be giving the talks. I'd love to see you there. But also, over coffee today, why not share who you'd like to invite? And whether they come or not, that's one thing. But who would you like to invite? I'm sure there's someone in your sphere of life whom you'd love to see know Jesus more. Who is it? Well, why don't you share that name and then ask that person to pray for them? Maybe they come to life. Maybe they know Jesus in 5, 10, 20 years. Who knows? But let's share the name and let's pray for that person. And let's remember that God is full of grace and Jesus wants to heal the hypocrite. And I'm really thankful of that and I hope you are too. Let's pray and then we'll sing one more song. A wonderful, kind God, you confront us with the reality of our hearts. You show us a way of life that is not hypocritical, yet so many have been hurt by the claims of following Jesus. And Father, we're, we're so grieved by that because we know that you're so much more wonderful. And so Father, heal our hearts, give us grace to talk to those around us, and Father, may we know that you long to gather us under your cross to forgive, renew, and make new. So thank you, you're that God. May that vision be championed from us in all areas of our life all the time. Give us your spirit and grace to do that. Amen.